You and I are both white people of some relative privilege, and it would be really easy for us to just look at the positive and just look at, you know, the good data in the world. But I think that there's an importance to, you know, continuing to look at the data of the heartbreak and the injustice in the world and to pay attention to that, not so that we can beat ourselves up or become cynical, but because we know that we can create solutions to those things. You're listening to Out of Line with Caroline Lee, exploring offline realities with online personalities. Brandon Harvey is a storyteller focused on the good in the world. He's the host of the podcast, Sounds Good, the creator of The Good Newspaper, a printed newspaper that reports only good news, and built an online community of more than 250,000 world changers. He's also a photographer and has helped brands like Disney, Square, Southwest Airlines, and Red tell meaningful stories with heart all over the world. Brandon and his wife, Sammy, live in Nashville, Tennessee with their pooch named Pop-Tart. So yeah, so tell me a little bit about uh, quantified self. I don't even know what that is, and I wanted to Google it because I was like, maybe I should know (laughs) a little bit about what we're going to talk about before we talk about it. And then I was like, nope, nope. It's good for me to just go in blind and then that way I can ask questions that are totally genuine, like I'm just finding out what it is. So That's great. Well, that's my favorite thing with my show and stuff is is diving in with genuine curiosity. And so it kind of works out well that way. Um, yeah. So the thing about quantified self, I don't know that much about this like phrase quantified self. Like I I found out recently there's like a subreddit for this. There's a TED talk that's got like a million views about this. But ultimately what quantified self is, is this idea of studying data about your life and using that to inform your decisions. And when I came across this phrase, I realized, oh, this is something that I've been doing for years, I've always been fascinated with little pieces of data from my life and using that to, you know, help me grow, help me understand myself better, help me um, achieve better, help me, you know, all these things. Uh, and I was thinking about it, and for me, it started, or at least the earliest I can remember diving into this world of things was. Do you remember? Oh my gosh, what is it called? Was it Last FM? Do you remember Last FM? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you could like scrabble all the music you were listening to. And mm-hmm. I just remember being so fascinated by being like, oh, like th- I've listened to this band this many times and this band this many times. And like seeing the data visualized of the music that I was listening to. That was the very first time I remember being fascinated by data. And so then with this so this quantified self thing is more a name for something that you already loved doing before you knew it was a thing totally yeah so fast forward a few years later and the key pieces of data that like i started being really interested in were things about uh my day-to-day life so i got an apple watch and i started using that to track um you know, my heart rate and how much exercise I was getting and how many steps I was getting. And then I downloaded this app for my computer that would basically track my time so I could see, you know, how productive I was being. And I would see, you know, okay, I'm averaging like an 85% productivity between 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. And then I downloaded this thing that basically helps me understand my locations. And I can go, oh, this is how many countries I've been averaging per year, you know, in my travels, or this is how many states I visited, or here's how many times I've been to a movie theater, things like that. Um, and, and and that was around the time where I was like, oh, there's there's a name for this. And there's other people who are equally interested in um tracking the analytics of their everyday life. Wow. So do you track other people's analytics ever, or do you compare your data to anyone else, or is it purely your numbers for you? I would say it's purely my numbers for me. It's not a competitive thing. Um, In fact, I've never been really a competitive type. Um, And even with exercise apps, which I think are kind of built to have a little bit of... um, community built into them so that you're a little bit more encouraged to run. I've just never really cared about 
comparing my data to other people's data. For me, it's more so about seeing improvement and growth in the things that um, that I'm tracking. And you know, that's all relative. You know, um, it, for a while, I think that there was probably a time where I was like, oh, I want to visit more places. Like, I want my app that keeps track of uh, the locations I visit to to you know, I, I want to see those numbers growing. And now I'm maybe in a place where I'm like, oh, it's maybe healthier for me to have those numbers becoming smaller and 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 me traveling a little bit less or me spending a little bit less time uh, out and about and just spending more time at home or in familiar places building deeper community. And so it, it fluctuates from time to time, but it helps me track towards whatever my goals are. Um, based off of, you know, wherever I was a month ago or a week ago or a year ago, or, you know, at this point I've been doing it for a few years now. So a few years ago. Wow. All right. So do you know what your personality type is either in like Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram? Yes. So I love the Enneagram. I know the Enneagram. Um, I know that you are an eight with a seven wing and Mm -hmm. I am a seven with an eight wing. Oh, no way. I like it. Yeah, I like yeah, it. we're we're basically two sides of the same coin. It's, uh, it's a, I like it. I I mean, I think sevens all are like, yeah, I love being a seven, but I really like being a seven. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, really but funny. I do think that it plays into this a little bit. Like sevens love to collect experiences. They love new adventures, and so for me, in many ways, you could argue that by quantifying all of the experiences I have, it helps me hold on to those experiences and collect them and remember them as the experiences that I've, you know, enjoyed in my life. Mm. Yeah. I, I think that sevens, my seven friends and I have a seven sibling as well. And, um, I find that they are always like the life of the party. They're always really, really fun to be around and they're really good at being enthusiastic about things. I will say, uh, your, I don't want to say results because that sounds like maybe I should just say results because we're talking about data <laughs> here. But your results seem very grounded for being a seven because a lot of sevens, I think, um, you know, part of being a seven is is kind of pain avoiding. And so totally. when you're doing something that is difficult, like, for example, your your good work is all about like talking about things that. Um, might be difficult, but talking about them in a way that brings um, good to the world and and also just in the way that you stick to things and really like keep going. I'm sure there have been times where it hasn't felt good, <laughs> where it has been totally. painful. And the fact that you stick with that is awesome. So good for you. That's rad. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and in many ways, it's kind of happened on accident. And maybe it even comes back to data again. Uh and I think I can almost map my personal growth towards becoming a healthier human, a healthier seven, along the lines of my podcast. Um, when I first started Sounds Good, I think I was probably in like a decent, you know, emotional health, but certainly not great. I was probably just average. Um, and I really did have this idea of, you know, of avoiding pain and, uh, I really wanted my podcast to be a celebration of people who were happy on the internet. And I, I, (laughs) which sounds so stupid in hindsight, but like I saw all these people I admired and I was like, oh, let's have conversations with those people and just talk about how awesome life is and how great it is and how fun it is. And really quickly within just a few conversations, I found that the people that were the most joyful were the people who had experienced the most, the most pain. And mm. what's funny is that I was already locked into this podcast. Like I had literally signed a contract with um, with a media company saying that I would make fifty episodes um, at least. And <laughs> and this concept that I started off with of maybe even pain avoidance, I had to week by week create more content until I hit that number fifty. And over the course of that year, I grew and learned a lot about myself and my natural avoidance of pain, but also the value and the beauty of diving into that and becoming more vulnerable. Um, and and I think that I can almost look back on um, some of the data that I captured that year, and certainly with the podcast, um, you know, even down to things like download numbers or whatever, seeing like 
the more willing I was to dive into that pain, the more uh, healthy I was becoming and and maybe even the more interesting the content was, which is really funny. Mm, Yeah, that's sort of almost like counterintuitive, maybe. Um, And at least in terms of, like you said, with your with your tendency to want to be like, wow, this is actually hard and terrible. And I'm (laughs) I'm diving into the pain. Um, But but having to stick with it, I think, is really an interesting um, insight. Uh, And especially that you (laughs) had a contract. That's amazing. I love that. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to start making contracts for myself just that are like legally binding just because it's actually a great motivational tool. I would have yeah. totally quit earlier. Do you think you would? I was going to ask you that. Yeah, I I mean, the podcast outside of my relationship with my wife is the the longest commitment I've ever had with anything. You know, we've done more than 100 episodes. It's two plus years at this point. Um, and it's just so consistent. Like we, we do it every single week, except for we take like two weeks off a year. And uh, it, I mean, that's not a huge com- like there's. I, definitely people who have had way longer commitments to things in their life, but I haven't. I'm like really quick to jump from one idea to the next. And I certainly have had lots of new ideas over the last two years where I'm like, oh, no, no, no. What if we do a vlog? You know, what if we actually change this and we do, you know, whatever it is. And I've just kind of committed to sticking by it for at least the foreseeable future. And I found that to be deeply valuable to kind of push back on those natural instincts for new things. And kind of like I said earlier, just continue to grow in uh, the same things and be consistent and show up and, and be present. And it's been really valuable for me personally. And I think that when you commit to anything, any sort of creative endeavor over the long term, it gets better and better and better the more you do it. And I'm thankful for the ability to take a step towards mastering something every day. Hmm. That's really inspiring. Um, and I definitely agree with you with the longer you do something, the more you learn from it. And, and also I think the easier it gets, not that there aren't hurdles still, but your muscles are a little stronger in those areas and you know how to kind of foresee what issues might come up and avoid them. And, um, you know, it's, it's something that kind of gets more enjoyable as it goes on typically. Um, and I think that those first few years are always the hardest. And yet it's also the first few years that most people quit. Um, so, you know, I was even just thinking about when I was watching the Oscars, um, earlier this month, uh, I was watching all the people that got up on stage and just thinking about how all of them were at least 40 years old, if not like 60 and 70 and 80. And they have just stuck with it. And now we celebrate them and we acknowledge them and, you know, we're inspired by them. And we say like, look at your incredible work. You inspire the world. Um, And yet clearly they've been at it for years and years and years. And if they would have given up, you know, like in their year two or three, when things were really, really difficult and they had no idea what they were doing, then they would never be on stage in front of the world. So it it was definitely like a visual reminder of like, oh yeah, sometimes success doesn't look 25. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. And oh, yeah, I think that's always a really, really great reminder. And anytime that I have, you know, something that uh, gets a little bit of attention or I feel proud of it. It's actually really encouraging and exciting to think about how that thing is just a stepping stone towards the next thing. You know, it's a, it's a skill I have to master or learn so that I can use that along with 10 other skills that I'll master and learn over the next 20 years to create something else entirely. Like I love the idea of just like accumulating these these skills and abilities, and then being able to bring them all together in a way that's unique to me and is unique to other people, you know, when they do the same thing. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And so I know you said a minute ago, you, you talked about your wife and how being with her is something is one of the longest commitments you've ever stuck with, (laughs) which is awesome. You guys are so cute. (laughs) Um, so do you, do you, do you capture her data? You know, I, 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 don't I well no I mean not really no I mean I think that we we do a few things like we keep all of our photos cataloged in Google Photos 
And so, and we have a shared Google Photos. Like you can basically choose a partner for your Google Photos. So we share all of our photos together. So it is nice if I'm like going through and thinking like, okay, what was I doing? You know, what was like my Halloween four years ago? I can dive back in and not only look at photos from October 31st, 2014, but I can also look at her photos from that year and, and see how things, so like there is stuff like that, but it's not necessarily that I'm like having her keep track of herself or anything like that. She's got an Apple watch just like me. We both use it uh, to kind of motivate ourselves in different ways. Um, but I think, I think even though she doesn't have the same, love and appreciation for data that I do, I think that she has found data to be helpful and interesting to her in different ways. And I mean, another example is she really loves the app Swarm, which is, um, you know, essentially four square just for checking in at places. And she uses it to keep track of all of the restaurants that we go to that we love. So that way, when we go back to, you know, when we go back to New York or when we go back to San Francisco or, you know, we go to Austin, she can go back and she can keep track of all of the places that we loved and remember kind of some memories about it. And um, and so I think everybody in many ways has these these ways that they quantify their life and they keep track of it and they keep and hold the data. Um, but it's just a matter of what your interests are and what uh what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. So you don't, you don't like print out like once a month, you have like a sit down with her and you print out her numbers and you're like, <laughs> now listen, honey, you ate uh, cheese one too many times last month. We're going to need to bring down your uh, dairy intake because I'm looking at your pie <laughs> chart and what you've consumed. I'm just, I just think so that that funny. would be really funny if you did that. That'd be really great and like mildly abusive and <laughs> and not healthy for a relationship. Okay, I see oh, your point. So funny. <laughs> I think if anything, we all need a little bit more cheese in our life. We probably do. We probably do. I'm just <laughs> I I'm with you all the way. Um, I grew up in Wisconsin, so cheese oh. was just like a part of my day, and I didn't realize yes. that there were people that had things like dairy intolerance and you know, lactose issues and until I was like in high school. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait, what? Some people That's don't so eat cheese four times a day. <laughs> That's well, okay. So get this. I learned this recently. It turns out that everybody in the world is technically lactose intolerant. It's just about the degree of which you are. And mm. so if in your genetic history, you have a lineage of a lot of people consuming cheese, then for the most part, and I'm, I'm not, I don't know anything about this, so this could be BS, but this is what I understand. Then you're going to be a little bit more tolerant to cheese. And I'm somewhere in the middle and bringing it back to data. You know, I did 23andMe a few years ago and basically got all of my stats for my biology and my uh, genetics. And it basically tells me that I'm middle of the road on on dairy. So like I can have it, but it's like not the number one best thing. Mm. Um, but it is interesting seeing that that's like, built into my DNA and I could see that being true before this and then my DNA backed it up. And so I love that. It's kind of cool. I was going to ask you how you felt about all of the new tests coming out where you can get data on yourself. Um, and I would have guessed that you would have done 23andMe, which I did as well. And it was amazing. Um, I have very, I'm in the 89th percentile of uh, Neanderthal variants. Just so oh my you know. gosh. I, re yeah. I don't remember what mine is, but I feel no. like I might be up there. My husband, Jaden, um, also was something like 83%. And I was like, hey, we're into each other because we're like cave people. That's amazing. <laughs> it was yeah, pretty hot. Built into 23andMe, they basically have a few things where you have to give consent to receive the data that's basically telling you your likelihood of being diagnosed with diseases that aren't curable. So mm. things like Alzheimer's or, you know, other things like that, um, because it'll really mess with your psyche. If you find out that you at one point are going to start losing your memories and your, you know, cognitive abilities, but you can't do anything about that. And so I actually chose not to receive that data, which mm. actually was maybe a little bit hard for me because I, you know, I love, you know, collecting all this stuff and I love knowing 
the most amount of things possible. But, um, but that was one of those things where I was like, at least not at this point in my life, I don't want to know that. Like I, I'm, I don't need to know that. And hmm. so I don't know. Did you, did you check those boxes? Yeah, I did. And I, I was really, I was also really nervous. And I remember getting, um, I was actually in Tunisia when I got my results. And I remember kind of like having really, really slow Wi-Fi connection and being a little bit anxious while everything loaded. And I kind of like stopped breathing and I was like, why am I doing this while I'm here? This is terrible. (laughs) But then, but then I remember my results were like, my only bad ones were that I carried, um, some recessive genes that are like birth defects and Jaden doesn't have the other ones. So then I was like, oh, okay, well, there we you go. know, I mean, it's so, it's so weird because yes, it's data. And yes, like you said, it could have really like affected my psyche in terms of, um, you know, if it said like, you definitely are going to get this, um, that would have been really intense. But at the same time, you know, that sort of also forgets to take into consideration that, even me like making it through today is also not a guarantee. So it's, I mean, data can only go so far um, before, you know, if I'm living life only by the numbers, then I kind of forget to be in this moment. Um, So there's a weird line there. Yeah, no, 100%. And that's, that's what I think I like about most of the things in quantified self is it's in response to the things that are already true about you. You know, it's not forecasting the future necessarily, except in that context where it's like, this, you might die from this thing or whatever it is. But for the most part, it's saying, here's what you did this last week. You know, here's the information about that. Allow that to motivate the actions you choose to take next week. And for me, I find that really helpful because it makes every day that I'm, you know, blessed to have um, a little bit more intentional, a little bit more filled with um, focus and drive towards particular goals. Mm. Is Quantified Self a a club, a membership, a group? Like, do you have other people that you that you learn how to do things from? Is it kind of like, hey, you download this app, and then this is a new way to collect this kind of data? Um, or is it just something that you purely do with your devices by yourself? You know, honestly, I just I just don't know, you know, because, again, it's it's something that I was just doing and interested in. And then I found out that there were other people who did it. And there were people that were maybe even forming communities or at least subreddits around this. And so um, I, you know, I've got other friends who are like maybe interested in in data, but it's not like I like get together and we talk about this. Like I really do use it as a motivational tool, um, to kind of help me accomplish my goals. And so it is pretty personal, but it's also not, you know, it's not something where like I wake up every day and I'm like, okay, let's check everything. It's more just that it's, it's a little bit of a guidepost for, for helping me understand what I'm, what I'm doing. So I guess the answer to that is, it's not necessarily um, like a group or a club or anything, um, though there may be other people where that is true for them. Mm. Can you tell me about a time or a, or a specific instance where you used the data that you've collected about yourself to make a positive change in your life? Yeah. Um, well, maybe what I'll do is I'll tell you about a new tool that I started using um, and how that really, really helped me. Because oftentimes it's it's not necessarily that um, I make like big abrupt changes based off of data. It's usually that um, that bringing in a new piece of data into my life allows me to kind of course correct within that. And so um, I started using this app called where is it? It's on my computer. Um, it's called Rescue Time. And rescue time is fantastic because it keeps track of everything that I do on my computer. So every app that I have open, every tab that I am looking at, um, how much time I'm spending within each, um, and what time I'm 
doing things within that. It also keeps track of my time that's outside of the computer. So for example, this conversation right here, um, it would log this as you know a meeting or an interview. Um, and when I brought this into my work life, you know, because most of my quantified self stuff had been in my personal life. When I brought this into my work life, it was really valuable because I could see that I had about a 60% productivity rating, meaning that 60% of my time that I used uh, during my work day was productive. And 60% is decent, but I felt like that was still like a little bit low for time that I was intentionally spending, you know, creating things I wanted to create. And so just by looking at that data, I brought my average rating up to something like 85%. And basically that means that any, you know, nonsense news sites are are vetted as distracting uh, uses of time. Social media, all of that is uh, a distracting use of time. And, um, and like obviously games or, or anything like that are distracting uses of time. But then things like my email are like ultra productive or um, things like Photoshop or Illustrator or InDesign. Uh, those things are all ultra productive. And it's a little bit funny and nuanced because social media is also a part of my job. Like it's very much um, a part of what we do at Good Good Good, where we, you know, we're telling stories of the good in the world on social media. And it's also a part of, you know, my life as somebody who shares his photos and stories on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and so I actually feel really rad about the fact that I was able to get that up to 85% because it means that, you know, 15% of my day is spent doing things like social media. But that's, you know, mostly me being able to get in and get out. And so it allowed me to be a lot less distracted by social media while still being really, really productive during my day and get things done. Um, and honestly, I think that's the only way that I was able to, you know, in the last year, launch a newspaper and have another successful year of the podcast and uh, hire a new employee and, and kind of teach her things and manage her and, and, and kind of empower her to create things within good, good, good. And, um, I, I really think that that's been really, really beneficial to me. And every day I go home feeling a little bit more proud of the time that I spent. Um, and honestly, I think just before I started using rescue time, it was maybe that I would come to work and I was a little bit more on autopilot. And mm. what I like is that when I introduced this new piece of data, it allowed me to just be a little bit more intentional about how I was using my time. And so it wasn't this huge life-changing thing, but it was just, it was subtle and it made a difference. And it's nice because it just sits in the backseat of what I'm doing. It's not like I have like a stopwatch out and I'm keeping track of all of this information happening. It's just a passive thing that by being able to visualize and understand what's happening with my day, um, it, it changed the outcomes of my goals. Ooh, that's a good one. I want to, now I'm, I wrote it down. I'm totally going to give it a whirl. Cause yeah, I, I'm, you, I'm with you on, on loving. I love like, I love things that can give me feedback. Um, yes. and I feel like things like productivity, you know, you can feel like you're spinning your wheels and getting so much done, or at least you feel busy. Um, but then sometimes it's like, but am, is my busyness actually, creating results or am I just like kind of, you know, getting distracted and having so many tabs open that I never actually finish one thing all the way. I'm the totally. worst because I'll like open a tab and then, and then, you know, internet is not slow, but it's slow <laughs> enough that as something's loading, I'm like, Oh, well, while that's loading, I'll use the like uh. second to start <laughs> something else. And then I pull uh, up like words a, to exactly what I experienced too. That's so funny. So then the same thing. did you find now, now that you know about productivity, did your productivity go up? Like, did your rating go up when you stayed with something all the way? Or do you still jump from tab to tab while things are opening? <laughs> you know, it, that's a good question. And I'm maybe I'd have to go and take a peek and I bet that I can actually see some data on this. Uh, but the nice thing is whether I spend one second on Twitter or five minutes, you know, like it's keeping track of that. And so if I every single time that a tab is loading, I hop over to Twitter for five seconds, it's going to add all that up. 
And so it's, it's still giving me the same feedback. Um, but you know, I don't know. That's, that's really interesting, but it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's, I did increase my time of being productive. Oh, and here's the other nice thing about this tool is, uh, after you spend X amount of time doing distracting things, or if I spend too many hours on the computer in general, it'll block a certain sites for me. And so for me, I have it set to block all distracting sites after I've spent 45 minutes on social media in a day. And it'll block it for like an hour or something. And so sometimes I'll just be like scrolling Twitter on autopilot and all of a sudden it'll just close out. And I'm so frustrated because I'm like, I was just reading that thing. But it'll, you know, it'll lock me out. And if, if I want to, I can click a thing uh, to get back in. And it makes, it makes me sit there for 30 seconds while a countdown happens, while it basically says, are you sure you want to do this? You don't have to do this. <laughs> it's really, really funny. But it's great because it's giving, just like you said earlier, that instant feedback uh, to help me understand how my day is going. And so without me even having to check in, it's, it's kind of letting me know, Hey, here's how you're doing today. Here's how productive you've been. Um, and it'll totally snap me out of that autopilot, um, which is, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, what I'm looking for. Yeah. Oh man. That's hilarious. Okay. Well let's, I'm going to try, I'm going to try doing one day where I sit with a tab while it's loading and just like practice intentional breathing for like an extra three seconds and then I'll try one day where I do the thing where I just you know have five tabs going because we have to wait so fucking long for it to load and then (laughs) and then you're gonna upgrade to fiber by the end of this (laughs) Uh, seriously that's really funny I'm gonna try it let's see what happens let me know if you get any 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 numbers I want to hear your numbers yeah Seriously, I, I'll let you know. Um, while we're at it, do you want me to run you through uh, the other tools I use? Yeah, tell me everything. Okay, so here's what we got. Um, obviously, my Apple Watch is fantastic. On my Apple Watch, I love to track my water intake, which I find the amount of water that I have directly correlates to how functional my brain is throughout the day. Um, and so, uh, I use an app called Waterminder to, um, to just, you know, track how much water I'm drinking, which really, really helps me out. I use wow. an app called gyroscope. Wait, really fast. Sorry. I gotta know what's your, what's your like optimal amount of water every day? Oh, uh, let me check. It's, um, <laughs> my optimal amount of water is 96 ounces for my height and body weight. And activity okay. level. Okay. So and what so is, far, let's I've see, only that's had like... 32 ounces, so I'm behind. Oh, <laughs> are you peeing all the time? You know, here's what I think. I think that our bodies freak out about change, but then once we're consistent, our bodies go back to normal. And so if you start drinking a lot of water your first few weeks, you're going to pee a bunch. But then after that, your body's going to be like, oh, I understand. We drink more water now. Let me find some more things to do with this water. And Mm. that's actually where the benefits kick in, where your body starts going, um, oh, wait, I've got another thing I can use this water for. And again, I'm I'm not a doctor, so I might just be like personifying the body in just the stupidest, most inaccurate way. But, you know, that's what I understand. And I feel like it's been true for me. Yeah, I would say that I can I can testify to that uh, being true for me as well. Um, Jaden and I each got a glass gallon um, and oh, we nice. fill it up at like the beginning of every day. And so um, a, a gallon has 128 ounces in it. So it's just a bump up from what your your, yeah. your number is. And so we fill it up in the morning and then leave it out and try to get through it during the day. And at first, yeah, I was, I'm, I'm with you. Like it was like my body was going, oh my gosh, we're going to just be peeing all day long. (laughs) And then once it kind of balanced out, um, now it's totally normal. And now if I don't drink that much in a day, I actually just feel thirsty. Like my body's like, excuse me, we got used to that. (laughs) What do you want me to do? You raise the standards for your life and your body's like, hey, we we live by those standards now. Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. So water, what else? Okay, so 
I also use this app called HealthMate, but HealthMate is actually connected with um, a, a like a what is it even called? Like a smart home scale. So I've got a scale at home that measures weight, BMI, and maybe even like muscle or something like that. Um, and I step on it and it automatically puts all the data on my phone connected to Apple Health uh, via Wi-Fi. And so that's really helpful because it plugs right into all the apps I use um, and keeps track of my weight. So then I could almost, if I wanted to, I could say, oh, hey, this time in my life where I was being really non-productive and also not drinking water correlates with weight gain or, you know, whatever it is. I don't necessarily use it like that, but theoretically I could. And it's interesting that it just automatically connects with everything else I'm doing. Mm, Okay. Amazing. Love it. So for other times in my life, I don't use this right now, but I've used LifeSum or MyFitnessPal to track food and uh, the things I consume, which is really, really, this is actually one of the most helpful things for me. And I think it's, I think it can become really unhealthy for many people really, really fast to be tracking the food and calories you're eating um, because um, there's a lot more to life than food and calories. Mm. Um, And it can really quickly like, I think become a harmful thing, but if it's beneficial to you, like it's fantastic because it'll allow you, um, I would say more than it restricting you, it'll allow you freedom. And so for me, the way that it would work is because it also plugs into my Apple watch and, and the things that track how many calories I'm burning, I can basically say, oh, hey, I'm, I ate really healthy for breakfast. I ate really healthy for lunch. I burned all these calories. You know what? I can eat you know, half a tub of Ben and Jerry's because, you know, my data says that, that that's, you know, allowable within whatever's going on. Um, and so I found that actually, rather than it being restricting, it basically helped me feel better about the decisions I wanted to make, um, you know, from time to time because, um, it, you know, it was actually keeping track of, um, what my day or week had been like. Mm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yep. That's really interesting. And I know what you mean. I think I'm thinking about some friends that I have and just some personality types that I know that might find the data tracking almost um, suffocating or like they, you know, are are having to outperform themselves all day, yeah. every day. Um, and it could get to the point where it, it isn't a healthy thing. So it's almost finding that balance of like, where's the point where it supports me? Where's the point where it stops supporting me and turns into like an anxiety or an OCD or some sort of comparison game that, that doesn't serve any longer. Exactly. Exactly. And and that's why I think, you know, for me, it's actually been really interesting diving into data because it's helped me understand myself better and helped me grow as a person in the same way that the Enneagram was a great tool for me diving into myself, understanding myself better and becoming a healthier person. And so as you do that more, ideally you're becoming more in tune with what you need and especially what you don't need and saying no to things like this. If that's not going to be helpful or healthy for you, I think is one of the best choices you can make. Like that's, that's knowing yourself way better than numbers on a screen will ever help you know yourself. Hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, are there other apps and, and services as well? You know, I'll give you one more that's like an actual app and service. And this is probably my favorite. If I were to recommend one thing to, to anybody, it would be this app. And it's called Gyroscope. And what Gyroscope does is it pulls in data from dozens of other sources. It helps you bring it all together. And so... They actually call themselves the operating system for the human body, which is very funny. But they plug into almost everything else I just mentioned, and they put the data together. So when I look at my data from yesterday, it tells me, Brandon, you got nine hours of sleep. You were 70% productive. Your heart rate ranged between 52 and 116 beats per minute. And then it graphs out where those beats per minute were in terms of my productivity for the day and what apps I was using or when I was exercising. I only got 5,000 steps and I spent most of my time at home, which makes sense because I live there. Um, 
you know, and it will even pull in stuff from my week. Um, and at the end of each month, it'll tell me here's kind of what happened. Um, it also is tracking where I'm visiting in my locations and how many times I go uh, to restaurants per month or how many times I'm at the airport. Um, and then at the end of the year, it gives me this huge readout. And for anybody who followed me on Instagram, uh, I shared this uh, in January. I shared basically the readout of my entire year and the data of what it collected of me over the year. Um, and you know what I'll do is I'll put that up on my Instagram highlights. Um, but it's, it's nice because it's a one-stop shop for everything. Um, and it's a great way to, I think, get started with, um, quantifying your life if that's something you're interested in, because it makes it really easy and, uh, fun and interesting as well. Yeah. Thanks for, sh thanks for sharing that. Cause I was, I was going to ask, uh, another question was going to be, you know, so let's say someone's listening to this and they, they're, they're curious, they want to get their toes wet. They're not totally sure where to start and kind of how does this apply to someone who hasn't, um, made a practice of data collecting and watching their own lives, um, via app. Um, so that's really helpful. Um, what about, do you ever feel like your data is being collected by other people or sources? Um, and does that ever make you feel like any sort of privacy violation? Um, not trying to project here, just trying to think totally. of other questions no. that some people might be, be feeling yeah. about themselves. That, I mean, I think that's a really good question. And for me, I... I don't know. It, it might be coming from a place of privilege, but I haven't ever felt very fearful of how my data is being used. And, and maybe that just comes from me. You know, I started sharing my life pretty publicly via Twitter and Flickr and a blog when I was 15 or 16 years old. And so my whole life I've kind of lived, you know, out loud available for people to find on the internet if they want to. And so while some of this data, you know, obviously my location data, I'm not going to be sharing that with everybody on the internet, but Google has that, you know, Google has everywhere I've ever tried to go on Google maps. And that's a little bit, you know, scary to think about if things end up in the wrong hands, but it's just one of those things where I try not to live my life in fear. And I try to, you know, I'm really intentional about how I store my data and making sure that I've got really secure passwords and things like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I, I think that the chance of me having my privacy violated is so small, but the chance of me, you know, having a non-productive day, if I, if I am not being intentional about how I spend my time is really, really high. And so it's a trade-off I make, but I totally understand if, uh, people aren't drawn the same way that I am for sure. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I love what you're saying. And I do think it's a, it's a goal of mine to also not live in fear of being paranoid. I think also I try to live my life just assuming that everything I do could be public at any time. <laughs> Totally, because I totally. just think, you know, when, it, you know, whether it's like a politician or, you know, someone where there's a scandal because some of their private life came out, I always think to myself, like, why are people surprised in 2018 <laughs> when something that they did got seen by the world? Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's just, we live in a very, very connected, very, um, you know, there's cameras everywhere. Like, you know, email isn't secure, texts aren't secure, like nothing is, nothing is really and truly private. And so I don't, it's not that I want to just like go out and, you know, text or put, you know, my bank account details in an Instagram caption. But I think that in general, going through life, believing that my life is private actually sets me up to get this false sense of security um, that like, you know, that, that I can keep secrets and that I can live a double life if I want to, when really I'm like, please, it's coming out eventually. Like, I'm sorry. It's, it's just like, it's, it's all going to be seen eventually, whether you like it or not. So, um, 
don't live in fear is is a good a good angle to not let that control you. Totally. And I think that's so well said that, you know, you kind of just want to assume that the things that you do in your life are going to be public. And so live your life with a sense of integrity. Um, and it's not that like having secrets or, or privacy, you know, things that you want to keep private mean that you don't have <laughs> integrity, but it's, um, you know, for the most part, you know, I, I would feel fine if people got my location data and saw where I went every day, um, I would move into a new house, but I wouldn't feel like I had something to hide or, or, and the same goes, especially with like, you know, my heart rate or, you know, how much time I spend on, you know, Twitter versus my email, you know, those aren't things that freak me out necessarily. Um, but I think it's very understandable for people who do have like privacy concerns. Hmm. Now, what about other outlets um, that involve data? Do you love uh, reading other websites that talk about this kind of stuff? Do you, I mean, I, one of the people that comes to mind is my dear friend, um, Science Mike, that has a podcast that's all about data and science stuff and how it all um, affects his life. And I mean, he's very much like you where he has numbers on everything and it it affects his choices in life and the way that he you know even talks about different topics do you have podcasts that you listen to um are you into technology development or medical development or any of those more um offshoots of this data fascination yeah that's a really good question and it's funny because you know, some of the heart of your podcast is like, you know, what are the things that you don't talk about publicly or, or the things that are kind of a part of your life that aren't a part of what you do on the internet. And so for me, it's, you know, I do very little publicly with all of this data, but I have found it. And even maybe over the last few weeks, since you and I, you know, started talking about being on this podcast, I've been processing what, you know, data means to me in my day-to-day life and how it affects, um, you know, things outside of just quantifying myself. And I think back to when I started um, our newspaper, The Good Newspaper, which is ultimately this physical newspaper that celebrates the good in the world. And I became really interested in doing this because, (laughs) honestly, I was on Facebook and I was seeing people say just these terrible, awful things about, you know, immigrants or people of color or, um, you know, even just politics. And I, I just wondered, is there any truth to this? Like, is there any, can I give them any benefit of the doubt on this? And so I started just doing research on like, Hey, what are the crime rates for, um, people who immigrate into the United States? What are, you know, the, what are the rates of, you know, I don't know, various other things. And, I, I kind of went down this rabbit rabbit hole of what of of the way that the world actually is according to data. And I found that data made me feel very, very hopeful about the world. You know, that when you look at the grand scheme of things and when you look at um, how how the world has changed over the course of decades and centuries, um, you see that by almost every count, the world has become a better place. And sure, there's blips for a few decades here and there where things become worse. But um, almost every metric that you look at, the world becomes better. And so I have become really, really passionate about this website called Our World in Data. And it's run by a guy named Max Roser, I think. And um, he just has collected all this data on um, the number of deaths per war over the course of um, centuries or, um, you know, the amount of, uh, children who are working, um, before they're 18, you know, child labor, uh, over the course of centuries and, um, keeping track of all this data, just seeing how the world continues to get better. And it's even interesting. You know, I, I think that when you look at HIV and AIDS, especially in Africa, you can see this huge profound change where, just a few decades ago, it was this death sentence and people were dying in their 20s and 30s and, um, you know, in the United States and around the world. Um, and when you look at 
maybe even like zoom into a specific country like Rwanda, you can see when um, the rate for HIV and AIDS um, deaths, when that number begins to plummet, it, it happens almost overnight within just a few years. Uh, this this number of people who are dying from HIV um, just really quickly declines. And it makes me curious, or at the time when I found this data, it made me really curious, okay, what happened here? Um, well, what happened was that the year before that, Bill and Melinda Gates started investing money into Rwanda, uh, and the Global Fund started pumping money into uh, creating solutions in Rwanda, thanks to folks like Red and the One Campaign and uh, so many other amazing people. And... Um, and really quickly, we created solutions. And I don't know, it's, it's just one of those things where data has made me feel so hopeful about the world that, um, that not only is the world getting better, but individuals with you know the resources and the money and the ambition to create change, they can go in and they can create change. It's just a matter of people's attention and resources being directed in that direction. And so that's what we've started celebrating in the good newspaper is, you know, not just one-off stories of, oh, hey, this person helped this person. Oh, this person helped that person. But here's how the global trends and data in the world have have been shifting for the better. And here's how you can be a part of it. Here's how you can have a Melinda and Bill Gates moment in Rwanda where all of a sudden HIV and AIDS rates drop. Like you can direct your attention towards the water crisis or human trafficking or immigration rights or whatever it is. And you can create change because history has shown it time and time again. And so I think that's the other place that data comes into my life is in my work every single day, I get to study data and I get to study how there's a lot of hope when you look at, at history and where we're at today. Oh, that gets me so excited. If you, if you heard, I got so excited. I, I threw my pen. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's so good. I loved what I'm you were honored. saying. And then I just like, all of a sudden it was just like my pen ended up on the other side of the room. So anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it is so true. I think what you're saying is it gets me so excited and it gets me hopeful. And, and I love what you do with good and, um, and sounds good and good, 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 because you know, I think there is so much to feel hopeful about and even just so much that says that the good that we do and the good that we choose and the choices that we make to help others and be intentional with our resources, that it makes a difference. Like that shows up in numbers and mm. it can be so easy, especially when things are hard and especially when things feel hard um, and especially when the news focuses so heavily on the bad news and the the heavy stuff and the war and the shootings and the whatever, um, that's, you know, like that keeps ratings up. And so everybody loves ratings to be high. Well, the news uh, owners do. But anyway, <laughs> that's another episode. Um, and so I think basically like seeing all of the news can really get get you down. Um, it can totally. get people down. And I remember even last year, so many people around me were saying, you know, I think that life has never been harder and things are so bad. And, you know, has there ever been a time in history that was darker than this? And like, I'm sitting there going like, uh, yeah, yeah. There have been <laughs> lots of times that are way, yeah. way, 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 way worse than this. Um, and, you know, last year, Jaden and I watched the Ken Burns documentary on Vietnam yeah. And I watched it and it just even just seeing footage and photos and hearing stories of what was going on in that time in history. I was like, oh, we're we're doing so much better than that, even though, yeah, there are a lot of parallels. There's still a long way to go. You're right. Like looking at where we've come from is a lot more empowering than looking at how far we still have to go. Totally. And, you know, with that said, though, you know, you and I are both white people of some relative privilege and it would be really easy for us to just look at the positive and just look at you know the good data in the world um but i think that there's an importance to you know continuing to look at the data of um 
the heartbreak and the injustice in the world and to pay attention to that, not so that we can beat ourselves up or become cynical, but because we know that we can create solutions to those things. And I remember the Washington Post did this fantastic story using data uh, that they've, they acquired it through like a bizarre set of like drones and satellites to basically track power coming back in Puerto Rico after, you know, the hurricanes that came through and Puerto Rico clearly got a lot less aid from the U S government than, you know, Texas or Florida did. And what the Washington post did was so valuable because they, focused on, hey, here's where this injustice is happening, and it's been X many days, and only this much uh, power has been restored on the island. And by creating that data and that information and making it available and sharing it, it allowed more and more people to step up and create solutions to that. And so I saw so many people, activists that I follow on Twitter or humanitarians, um, who were looking at that data, sharing it, and then a few weeks later, I saw them starting fundraisers. I saw them, you know, selling albums to raise funds for the people of Puerto Rico. And they created their own solutions when somebody else wasn't stepping up to create solutions. And that was all because they didn't ignore the bad data. They dove into it and they said, no, 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 no. Data has proven that we can create solutions. I see data that says that we have a problem. Let's create a solution to this. And that's what gets me excited as well, you know, knowing and learning from this positive data um, and historical data and then applying that to the things that are heartbreaking and unjust today. Mm, mm, yep. Yep. You're you're very spot on with with us being privileged and us also having responsibility. I think with with the privilege that we have comes um, a responsibility and I'm so grateful for you being, you know, a privileged white male, um, which in America basically means like you're at the top of the food chain. <laughs> um, accurate. And, Wait, that sounds and, terrible. It's not, not accurate, but it's accurate that in America, like it's, yeah, I don't know. I, I, know. I just sounded <laughs> stupid, but it, it's I'll, not let a, it, I'll let us I mean, but it is, it's not, it's not, no, no. Yeah. It, I mean, what I'm trying to say is like no, your yeah, awareness right. of that. Because I mean, I have, there are white males in my life who say, what do you mean I'm privileged? I still have to pay for my college. I still have to, and they like rattle off all these reasons why they don't understand that they're privileged. And so, you know, for you being a white male who is in awareness of that, means that you already have more kind of like horsepower behind you so that when you do something with your awareness, it makes more of an impact than if you were just like sitting at the top of the totem pole being like, what? What are you talking about? Like, I worked hard to get up here. It's like, no, you didn't. You really didn't. But I'm glad you're up there and thanks for doing something <laughs> with it. But <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely. And that's sort of like, Maybe I'm projecting because I love being an eight, but that feels like a very eight thing of you, like using your using your eightness to um, bring justice and awareness and goodness um, and using that challenger wing of yours to um, really be mindful of others. Well, thank you. And it's definitely been something that I've been I've been learning and I have just deeply admired for years so many people who use their privilege to give others opportunities and to create solutions to the world's problems. And so I'm just trying my best to, to emulate the people I've admired my whole life. And I have a long way to go, but um, those words are very encouraging. So thank mm. you. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, I've loved I've loved hearing about all the the data juice and um, and I'm excited to give rescue time a try with my own productivity um, and maybe I will have had a chance to do a little bit um, of the data capturing before I post this episode so that when I talk about it in my stories I can share my results. Yes, yeah, I really <laughs> want to know um, you know what works for you and what doesn't work for you and what's interesting um, and I would also be super interested in. Uh, your experience as a female in this world, because while I'm not super in the world of data, you know, online or anything, 
the TED Talks I've seen, the articles I've read have all been from dudes. And I'm like, is this a dude-centric thing? Like, are dudes just narcissistic enough that we're like, I want to know everything about myself and maybe like, <laughs> you know, I don't know. And so I'll be really curious to, to see what your perspective is. Sweet. I can't wait. Um, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are girls out there who are doing yeah. it. I think like the more that, you know, the STEM world happens and the more that women are given a place in, you know, even just like tech and everything. I mean, like tech is another world that's just like <laughs> dude world. <laughs> so totally. um, the more that there is space for women to get nerdy about that. I'm, I bet they'll I bet they'll show up with some good some good tracking apps for us. Good. Perfect. <laughs> Stick around for part two of this discussion to hear a Q&A with Brandon Harvey about his social media practices. This episode of Out of Line was produced by me, Caroline. All sound editing, engineering, and original music composition by Jaden Lee. And a big thank you to Cat Footwear for working with Out of Line this season. Hit subscribe to get the next episode on your mobile device when it drops next week. And if you love what you heard, please whip out a review, will ya? 